0: Welcome to the Tomato Tomato Podcast. It's a podcast about movies and how they're reviewed. And sometimes... I'm Jenna, one of your usual co-hosts, and joining me is my other usual co-host.
1: Chris, I am the other usual co-host of this podcast. You can see me here every week.
0: We'll not see him.
1: You can visualize me in your brain.
0: Yes, you can picture him. So, yeah. Um, Which movie are we talking about today?
1: We're talking about... The sixth installment in the Mission Impossible series, Fallout.
0: And the source of frustration for every DC fan for the past year.
1: But was it worth it? Yes. Yes, it was worth it.
0: This was absolutely worth it. So, yes, we're talking about Mission Impossible, Fallout. Um, so this was a movie, We've we've mentioned this before, I think, on our Twitter account and probably on an episode before. This went from a movie... That we knew we wanted to see in the theater at some point. To all of a sudden, once the Rotten Tomato score came out, and once the amount of positive reviews came out, we were like, "We are seeing this opening weekend." Which,
1: I, if you're a regular listener, you can see the irony of us <laughs> buying into the hype <clears throat> of the Tomato meter. But but, was- but but seeing the amount of people whose opinions we trust on the internet, it was like. Overwhelmingly positive to the point when it's like, well, shit, we kind of have to see this well, opening and weekend. And it's one of
0: those things of like, we're not we're not trying to like play in the into the Rotten Tomatoes of it all, but we feel like as our podcast, we have to address it when when there's like a movie that the Rotten Tomatoes score actually kind of matters and is like a thing that people talk yeah. about because having this be the sixth movie in a franchise and mm. having the score be almost a hundred percent is insane. It's yeah. not something that would be expected and so we kind of had to see it and appreciate it and talk about it from that angle
1: well this is one of those franchises that can constantly reinvent itself by having new directors come on with each new installment granted the last two have been by the same team more or less yeah it has always been tom cruise at the helm but i've seen all of them and enjoyed all of them to varying degrees. This one being my new favorite. You, this was the... So
0: I have like a weird tenure with the Mission Impossible franchise. I've seen the first one, but then even as I was reading up on it, a part of me was like, I don't remember this at all. Like the plot of it kind of felt little, a little lost on me. It, and really, then,
1: the plot is always kind of just there.
0: Oh, are you that old lady that was sitting behind but us? No, I mean, no, the, 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 <laughs>
1: pl- the plot is... it's. <laughs> It's it's each installment is Tom Cruise saying how can I almost kill myself? No, this time?
0: absolutely, absolutely. But I no for the listeners, there was a lady behind us when we left the theater who got up and addressed her party, and she goes, "Do all these movies basically have the same plot? I mean, they're the same characters, so it seems like the plot is exactly the same." And we were just kind of laughing, but yeah, I'm looking right now as we're kind of talking and trying to see all of the tomato meter scores for the franchise overall because like even just looking the first mission impossible has a 63 percent
1: granted that came out how long ago now it was like 92 93 96 oh okay later than I thought. But still, yeah. I mean, that was well before the internet age of movie criticism.
0: (laughs) The second one has 57%.
1: Listen, that should be way higher. John Woo.
0: The third one has... Let's see. 70%. And
1: that was the J.J. Abrams one.
0: Yes. And then Ghost Protocol has...
1: 93%. That was Brad Bird's uh, foray into live-action filmmaking.
0: And then Rogue Nation has... 93%. So see, they went from being like a middling sort of, or like just a franchise that like critically was middle to passing sort of to like all of a sudden Brad Bird and Christopher McQuarrie just like turned it around.
1: Yeah, but so even going back to the first one, if you ask someone who is familiar and is like, what do you remember of the first one? They're going to say it's kind of the heist scene in say headquarters when Tom Cruise is not rappelling down but being lowered by the cable and just the suspense of it all because that's what people remember from these movies is the crazy stunts that Cruz puts himself into well, and like
0: at the time that seemed like oh shit this is such a big deal and that they keep he's escalating it. It. yeah now we're at this one which is absolutely bonkers in terms of like stunts and everything and it like we'll get into it when we talk about the reviews but it's just like i'm i'm just it's interesting to me now looking at all of the different rotten tomato scores seeing how much it's improved in terms of tomato meter and usually yeah. with most franchises it's the reverse like we've talked about that with like Jurassic Park and all of that sort of stuff well this stuff. is
1: what it's also a franchise that has a new movie just every 3 4 years yeah. it, it's not like
0: an expectation
1: one. Yeah, it's not like an annual, biannual release where it's like, all right, we're ready for the next one. And it's like, all right, cool, there's a new one out. It's been a little while. Let's go yeah. see it.
0: They're also not like putting the cart before the horse. They're not like booking these movies <clears throat> super far in advance. And it's I, just when Tom Cruise wants to do them, then they like put them together. I
1: also feel like it, it's part of a whole other like Hollywood discussion, but Tom Cruise is really one of the last... Uh, classic Hollywood actor draws because mm-hmm. now when when people go see movies they go see cuz they're familiar with the franchise or the IP mm-hmm. he's one of the last ones that has the big star power draw for the box office yeah like not many like yeah the rock <clears throat> is like the, rock. the only current yeah the rock already. is really the only yeah besides those I really can't think of yeah there are big stars like you get someone like Chris Evans he's Captain America he's one of the biggest ones mm-hmm. but he's not the draw he's not the reason people are seeing
0: well and like there i mean there are smaller equivalents there are people who are like oh denzel washington is in this movie i'm gonna go see it or like like any other kind of like actor they kind of there there are smaller examples of this but in terms of a broad scale of like oh if if a movie starring this person comes out we know it'll be number one at the box office we're not
1: gonna have the days of like there's a new Cary Grant movie. Let's go see it. But
0: really though, like Tom Cruise is the closest thing to Exactly.
1: That. That's like he's the outlier in like today's box. And he's
0: problematic <laughs> as hell. Like as a person, I I have very conflicting feelings about him as a person, but it is interesting kind of like following this franchise on a sort of surface level and then going in on this movie. I I appreciate what he is doing and I appreciate his work ethic in this movie and I, I commend it. Even as he is a deeply problematic person, yep. so yeah, it's just it's just such an interesting movie. I don't. Which review do we want to
1: start with? Let's just start with. Uh first one I had pulled up was The New Yorker. Yes. Which really kind of... I know. Sets the tone. For the
0: record, so Tomato Meter certified fresh 97%, 257 reviews, 250 are fresh, and 7 are rotten. So we had a pretty small pool to pull from. I kind of went with the reviews that were very specifically opinionated about something and this one from the get go like the title of it is very... I mean it's the New Yorker. Sp- I know.
1: Also if you're new the way we run this is yes. uh, each movie we discuss we pull three reviews from Rotten Tomatoes. From Rotten Tomatoes uh, Two of them will be counter to our opinions of the movie, and then we'll have one conforming to our opinion just so we don't have some kind of confirmation bias. And or we a try circle to, jerk kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and we try to choose outlets and reviewers who uh, – we try to choose representative – Reviews and reviewers, because there's a lot of white bread yeah. in review culture.
0: Granted, this is the reviews that we picked were a little white bread, bread. for this one, but, but also the pool of the reviews. pool of rotten ones was kind of small, and then for fresh ones, it was almost overwhelming trying to pick one. But then I really liked the one that I picked, yeah. so so
1: this first one is from the New Yorker by Richard Brody. Yes, he's
0: <laughs> the title is Mission Impossible Fallout is basically a two and a half hour making of sequence.
1: And so he starts his review by saying in his 1846 essay, The Present Age, Soren Kegersgaard decreed the widespread tendency of the time, which he summed up as the age uh, without passion to transform daring and enthusiasm into a feat of skill. I am not sure that these observations apply to the modern public at large, but they certainly account in significant measure for the peculiar critical acclaim that Mission Possible Fallout written, directed by uh, Macquarie has been garnering that's, like, come on, this isn't, uh, it's like, I get it's the New Yorker, but when you need to pull out shit from, like, yeah. your English lit class. I it's know. it's just an action movie. I, I You're know. putting too much stock into this, dude. It's, it's yeah. like, I get it, you didn't like it. Um, he does say it's a feat of cinematic engineering.
0: Yeah, he says, uh, while viewers are having their sensibilities dunned and stunned by infotainment tales of this movie's feat of skill, the critical community rushes to search for continuity between its cinematic spectacle and the classical era of era of filmmaking. Um,
1: which is what I was talking about. Because he goes and he talks says, about Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd's yeah. uh, stunts in their movies, which were insane For the time and even today if you go go YouTube it. Exactly. Buster Keaton was But like
0: his his argument is basically like we like the public only gives a shit if Cruz is doing his own stunts if it's like shown in a way that we are supposed to care. Like of oh shit, he could have died if he if this had gone badly.
1: But to an I'd have to agree with him because we know what Cruz does if we knew if it was CGI. But so then here, no, super. so then
0: the sentence after that, instead there's little in fallout to suggest that Cruz wasn't matched up via CGI with stunt performers onto whose physiques his face and voice were superimposed. to complete this sense of a nostalgia trip for tradition hungry critics the film was shot on 35 millimeter film not digital video this too doesn't matter at all there's hardly a visual sensibility detectable anywhere in this movie not an image with any resonance or overtone beyond the transparent conveyance of the scripted action (sighs) like okay
1: Uh, i don't know
0: we saw this on imax like i think the the uh, it was worth the price of imax
1: imax is the way to see this movie i mean that's how McQuarrie intended for you to see it
0: like sure yes it's a little (laughs) bit of a like playing into the whole hand of classic filmmaking of like, ooh, look at this spectacle! Like that, but that is kind of what. But it, that's it's, why
1: we go to the movies to and, see it on the big screen—is the spectacle well, of and it. And also
0: having so many of the movies that we cover be these like, be like Infinity War, where everything's just on a green screen and like half of the characters are CGI and all of that sort of stuff. Going from that to this movie, where entire sequences that are not that you wouldn't want to be real because they seem too intense. Are actually real is kind of refreshing.
1: I, I can't remember if we uh, retweeted it from the Tomato account, but there's this tweet that says on Mission Impossible is like this uncanny valley when it it's comes reverse to reverse
0: uncanny valley when it
1: comes to the action sequences because they they look so fake
0: or no they look so real that but, you your brain mm-hmm. would trick you to thinking that they're but fake. they're
1: all real and I'm curious to see uh, I would like to poll moviegoers as they leave and it's like what they thought was fake and what was real. Yeah. of the stunts were real. Yeah. It's insane.
0: Well, and then, yeah, because this guy just doesn't get the, like, he he had an opposite reading of the action sequences than we did because he goes, "They, they aren't intimate or precise. They are, by and large, smeary and la-di-da-di-da yet at the same time they're not filmed with any conspicuous cinematic impressionism or subjective fragmentation. They deliver an illusion of thoroughness or completeness or spectacular exhaustiveness that no individual image suggests on its own. There's a great deal of tumult and thrashing in the action sequences but little sense of dynamic stillness here where there's no on-screen agitation there's merely nothing happening.
1: (sighs) I just find it interesting that Richard is very, like we're like what, f- almost we're four paragraphs into the review and he hasn't even touched stuff like the plot or the no, performances. The he's fifth, very yeah fifth. He's fifth just, he's very hung up on the action and the stunts, and I think that that says a lot about what people go to these movies for
0: which like they're not ashamed of that no that's what they're selling like you said before like that when you went to see ant-man and the wasp there was a whole big making of thing yeah that like yeah sure that's exactly what this guy seems to hate but like that's what's going to sell people on the movie is the notion that like what you're seeing is real which like i said having so much of franchise stuff be artificial it's really refreshing to like see something be real
1: yeah um, and then eventually the Richard Brody gets to the plot saying it's intricate, it has a miniseries like surplus of twists that are rooted in elaborate de- <laughs> deceptions and false identities. So
0: he says the terroristic villains who seek blah 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 sound more like a couple of British invasion bands, Solomon Lane and the Apostles, John Lark and the Syndicate, but there's nothing in- entertaining about their intentions.
1: But really, I've seen all the Mission Impossible movies, some of them multiple times. Yeah. I can't. I don't remember the villains, really.
0: They're not...
1: They're not important. No. They're just there to be for the... They service the plot.
0: <laughs> the whole point is to see, like, how can Ethan Hunt kind of get out of this situation? That's all it is. Like, it's just kind of... It, you're just watching him work like, his way out of a puzzle. The
1: other kind of... So you you have a franchise like James Bond yeah. where part of the hallmarks is, is the quirky villains. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. one of the James Bond things that's reoccurring is having Blofeld or uh, Jaws people like that Mission Impossible doesn't Go that route. They they yeah. know it, it. The franchise knows what its strengths are, mm-hmm. and that's what crazy c- scenarios can we put Tom Cruise in? Well,
0: and this this almost feels like the equivalent of. I mean, like this. I feel like without this movie, I'm trying to think of how to word this. So, like the Tomb Raider movie that came out this year feels like a similar sort of thing. Of like, you don't give a shit about the villains, and you don't really like. It's all just about the puzzle of it all, and it's all about like the spectacle of it all, yeah. and not so much the. Like who the boss level sort of is, but yeah, that you just want to see said, Lara Croft kick ass. But that being said, with Fallout, Henry Cavill is a damn fine villain. Yeah. like
1: I think this is the one time they've made in,
0: a villain. It, oh, that, also,
1: spoiler. Did we say spoiler alert?
0: They they have to know. Okay, yeah. but also when you watch the second trailer, they say like he's been authorized to hunt you down it's and kill true. you, and there's the whole helicopter scene. So like, people I think are going to know. It. Let's see.
1: Uh, McCory injects some romantic melancholy into the plot, doing so midway through the film with a quick but telling mention of Ethan's wife. Uh, that very mention of a character. Ba, 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 ba. So. Um, despite the deft coherence of the plot's mirror games of alliance and betrayal, which provide the illusion. Of a developed drama, the movie almost totally deprives its character of inner life uh, or complex motives.
0: But see, they're not supposed to. They're spies. Like, they're just spies. walking, they're going around the world, like, doing I, all this shit. I don't.
1: I'm not watching this movie to see Ethan Hunt grapple with, like, a every, love triangle. Yeah, or every day, like, I'm a spy. I'm going to go grocery shopping now. It's like, yeah. I, I, I don't need that. That's not what I this thought movie's for. The peaks of his air quotes real life was enough the yeah. little his bad dreams his Th- wife yeah. the
0: way that the the way that the wife then factored into the third act was kind of interesting like it, it yeah. worked well enough granted like there. this movie like these movies have their fair share of like plot things like things that they just kind of like lampshade and then just mm-hmm. move on to where as someone who like hasn't kept up with this entire franchise on a closer scale. Part of me was like, how would no one react to that? How would no one say that? Like there like there was a moment where I was thinking, Ethan Hunt has saved the world X amount of times in public largely. And like how has no (laughs) one how when he's meeting with the with the white widow, is he not like is it's not like, oh yeah, you're Ethan Hunt, I know you. Like it almost feels like a sort of he should have a bond-esque sort of neurety, but he never does. And so, like, there's just these little things like that that are, like, lampshaded for the sake of the plot. And one of those things was, like, oh, conveniently his wife is there, (laughs) like, in the third act. And he has to save this amount of space that conveniently his wife is at. And
1: it's also, like, this is totally just a film thing, you know? Like, we wouldn't be as invested in it. It's. I don't mind stuff like that. No, to, I don't like, mind emotionally it manipulate. It's totally it's
0: emotionally manipulative, but it works. But, yeah. Uh, it...
1: Brody says, uh, The action sequences are the movies raised on Detra. At their very best in Fallout, when they're at their simplest, whether in a gory martial arts-centered battle in a gleaming modern bathroom or in a presto of deceit that's cribbed from a routine in the first Mission Impossible the scenes, however, are the exceptions. Goes on and talks about. He says the the,
0: pa- col- the car chase in Paris is a cold rehash of dozens of similar sequences served up throughout the decades.
1: But if it's done well, I don't care. Exactly. And it was done well. It was
0: done well, in the, and the it was one of those things. It's the reverse uncanny valley where part of me was like, "Did they seriously like drive through all of Paris? Yeah. Like, did they shut down all of Paris for this movie? Because it certainly and you know, felt like it." And you
1: know, a Tom Cruise movie is like the only kind of movie to get Paris to agree. Like, we'll shut yeah, down half the city for exactly. you. Exactly.
0: Like, it's one of those things where. I don't care if it's more... If it's authentic. Like, yeah. if it, if it Other, kind of comes across as this... Otherwise,
1: you can tell it's like, oh, we got the city of Vancouver to shut down this five blocks <laughs> exactly. for I'm us.
0: so, like, I'm so sick of stuff like that. Like,
1: stand-in cities and clearly sound <clears throat> Deadpool. stages. Deadpool. Yeah. Deadpool. Yeah. We're
0: literally going to use the same stretch of highway for both movies and hope yep. that no one notices. Yeah, like, I'm sick of that sort of stuff. I like it when it's these more realistic kind of action pieces where it's like, oh, holy shit, this is kind of... It's that... It's that cheesy thing of like this city is another character in the movie kind of thing like
1: but it's it's like it's sad that it's refreshing that filming on location is like this refreshing thing and it's i think part of it
0: because because of this because of the the CGI of it all
1: filmmaking is cheap yeah I i mean in the sense of the people financing the movies yeah because uh, they want a bigger ROI.
0: They'd rather just spend a little bit more time on the CGI and not have to worry about filming on
1: location. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then let's see. It says the the concluding third act involving helicopters above the mountains and the crags of Kashmir is a blustering mechanical anticlimax in which the ending is foretold. Um, uh... So the
1: end of this review, I'll, the problem with constructing a movie as one long making of sequence is that. If it's a movie as inert as this one, it doesn't so much answer the question, how was it made, as post another one altogether, why?
0: Because they wanted to.
1: <laughs> because they could? The because you would be entertaining? And because life sucks
0: right now, so if I want to sit in a dark, cold room and watch Tom Cruise, like, almost kill himself for two hours... Then I'm going to watch... Yeah, like, the whole point is just to, um, like, it's just for the spectacle of it all.
1: Yeah, so now over to the positive review. Yes. This so. is from Vox.
0: This is another sort of, like, literature-esque discussion of the movie, but it's in one that I appreciate a little bit Vox,
1: more. to me, is like New Yorker from Millennials.
0: I love Vox, though, honestly. Like, they're kind of—I nice. read them a lot more than I should, <laughs> and also, like, I mean, but granted, they have, like, Polygon and all that stuff yeah. under their orbit, so they kind of— it's kind of refreshing to read what they're doing half the time.
1: Uh, so they say, Fallout is the most entertaining blockbuster of the summer. This movie has it all. Crew's doing ridiculous stunts, a kernel of conscience, uh, and Henry Cavill's mustache. That's
0: the other thing. The New Yorker review does not even really like mention Cavill, like at all.
1: Because it, it, Brody was too hung up on everything the, else. the why of the stunts and yeah. everything. Uh, and this comes from Alyssa Wilkinson. Um,
0: in an era of sloppy and forgettable action flicks on one hand and overly serious gritty franchises on the other, the Mission Impossible movies strike a pleasing balance between memorable action sequences and smaller-scale character intrigue. They're whatever the opposite of self-important is. Which I, like, that's exactly what we were saying, is that it's sort of the, like, it, it's almost timeless in a sort of way of this kind yeah. of, like, big action spectacle sort of thing that's very finely tuned and it's not and it's trying to be as optimistic as possible yeah and yeah there's just something about that that's kind of refreshing
1: uh, of course like the other movies in the series a new mission Impossible entry brings another opportunity to see cruise what, uh, what kind of ridiculous stunts also he's age 56 <laughs> didn't
0: you see, didn't you see a tweet last night that was like he's two years older than john voight was in the first mission impossible which
1: and, and looking at a side-by-side image of john voight then and tom cruise now is like
0: <laughs> granted john voight never aged well but like yeah. that really showed
1: Let's see. It says
0: suitably goofy with the requisite masks and high stakes stunts that mark the series. Fallout also pins its story on a lightly considered version of the always relevant trolley problem. Is it better to save one person from destruction at the cost of many other lives or to choose to destroy one person to save the lives of many?
1: I I find it interesting that the New Yorker kind of just glosses over the the ethics, ethics of it all
0: because i'm sure they think it's like well this is point like meh who cares cuz they're too focused on the action and i didn't no. meh. let like, me
1: be clear even though it does put a spin on one of pop culture's favorite philosophical philosophical questions the good place had an entire episode titled the trolley problem fallout is not a brainy blockbuster it does not really have anything to say about for instance human nature geopolitics or much of anything else and that's that's not Mission Impossible's job.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and then it says, that's a shame in some respects, because, for instance, the movie raises, but then almost immediately drops, an intriguing thread about a terrorist targeting all of the world's major religions. But in truth, in all but the steadiest hands, too much heady stuff tends to gum up the works in films that are mainly meant to be showcases of cool stunts and improbable plot twists, which this film has in spades. Exactly. There was just enough of, like ethics and real world conscious like and a plot and a sort of like conflict
1: it's those because the whole ethical thing the trolley problem is done through this bromance between luther and ethan Mm -hmm. and it grounds the ethical questions and it doesn't make it like this other kind of movie where it's philosophical and
0: well, and it also doesn't make it of like, oh, it's my wife, so of course I have to save my wife. Yeah, I like, like
1: that it's his, his friend who's yeah. been there since the beginning.
0: Yeah, like that was kind of a refreshing element of it, of just kind of like, just, it, it, it fits Ethan as a character to like, think about the people in his life first like, I don't yeah. know there's that's the whole dilemma of the movie, and I think I wasn't expecting that kind of dilemma. I was just expecting kind of more espionage and yeah. antics and all that sort of stuff. And so then, having the ethics of it all questioned was kind of interesting and a surprise, and that is part of why, like everyone has been saying that Macquarie needs to direct Man of Steel too, and I think that if he applied that amount of ethics to Man of Steel while also making it like qui- quippy and fun and kind yeah. of like. His sort of style, everyone would lose their shit.
1: I know I saw on Twitter that it's like I'm gonna take a little vacation now to yeah. kind of rest up, which he deserves. Understandable. But like if he doesn't want to take on Man of Steel two with Cavill, which they've been talking about, if he wants to come back and kind of finish this air quote Mission Impossible trilogy, I'm yeah. all for that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Like I'm I'm in now because yeah. it's like these are very interesting movies, and yeah, yeah.
1: and so. Uh, Alyssa says he's uh, on McCoy. He's nailed the series' impish, ambitious voice and also ejected it with a bit of heart. There are several uh, fun action set pieces that don't disappoint, and the final sequence, which takes place over the Casual Mountains, is a bit of a heart stopper. It's followed with the cost of an IMAX ticket. Yeah,
0: it's completely opposed to the New Yorker, (laughs) but like, but really though, and it's one of those things. It's kind of, it's such a dumb movie going thing, but you always, like, I always fall into the trap of like, I know the good guy's gonna win, I know they're gonna survive, I know everything's gonna be okay. But there's genuinely moments where it's like, oh shit, oh fuck, oh my god, you just did that. Like, it's, it's just, it's intense and makes you give a shit, and it's kind of interesting.
1: It's like, yeah, we know at the end of the day they're going to win, but it's, it's not about destination, it's the journey. Well,
0: and there's something to be said about a movie where, like, the main conflict and the main, like, the the main opposition is really just kind of... of the third act is really just kind of, like, the elements that they're in. It's not like going back to infinity war it's not like there's this giant purple space monster with a with a glove that has all the powers of the universe and stuff and it's kind of like we can make it as powerful or not powerful as we want it to be instead in this one it's like will he fall off a cliff or not
1: like I think but that's i think that's part of why people like these movies so much is because we're so inundated with superhero movies where it's all superpowers and spectacle and stuff beyond belief that when we're given something that's realistic and like, it's rounded, sort of, yeah. it's like, oh shit, we actually feel the stakes. And part of his Mission possible is like, here's the slate for the next five Mission possible. movies. They're not going to do that. They don't no. do that. So no. it takes away some of the... The...
0: Expectations. The
1: expectations and the surprise of when we get a new one.
0: Mm-hmm and the surprise of like what the plot is and how the third act unfolds and yeah. all of that sort of stuff yeah it
1: yeah so the review goes on to say your outlook may also dictate how you do your job agent walker for existence wouldn't blink an eye at the idea of having to call a dozen police officers that's a whole other eth- ethics thing that i loved where that whole sequence of like walker and hunt mm-hmm. having to things like do we kill these cops to keep our cover mm-hmm. and everything and like them working away around it yeah. like that's another one of those like ethic questions like mm-hmm. how deep do we go undercover mm-hmm. to the point of like is it worth
0: yeah.
1: letting these few guys die mm-hmm. to not let bomb go off
0: that was another thing that was totally lampshaded and i know i mentioned it to you after we saw it was that that whole sequence i'm like why the fuck are you guys not wearing masks because i'm like <laughs> you like it i just keep going uh, because not, they're not to agent. keep going back to superhero movies but like in civil war when like bucky gets identified for the bombing that he didn't do because they wore a bucky mask i'm like so how would they not in theory have this whole massive car chase and all this different stuff and then it's like well we know exactly who the assailants are it's a cia agent and this other guy
1: it's because because their agents put in their contract, we have I
0: to see. know. And I, I know it's exactly that. I know that it's like Tom Cruise didn't want a motorcycle with a helmet on because helmets aren't as cool, even though they are very important for safety. But, like, it is one of those things where I'm like, you know what would be a lot easier? If you were wearing a fucking helmet, like, you would be able to evade all of the cops that are chasing you a lot easier. Uh, well, and, like, even, like, it it now is kind of hitting me all of the different ethics of it all because even there's that one scene with the like lady cop that gets shot yeah and he like goes out of his way to save her mm-hmm. which by the way i, I will say this now because we mentioned the two female characters a little bit earlier the casting of these female characters in this franchise is almost by someone who has face blindness because they all look exactly the same like, even that lady cop, for a second, I was like, Is that Ilsa? What the hell is going on? Like, they all look like sisters. And part of me is just kind of like, Can we get a little more variety in here? It was, yeah. Like, aside from. Um, it was
1: number four when we had Paula Patton. Yeah. It was Paul, like the one and, um, lead POC. Tandy and, and, and Thandy Newton. And Thandie Newton in yeah, two. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But, like, granted, Vanessa Kirby, it's like, Ooh, Vanessa Kirby's blonde. This is so much <laughs> variety. Which, by the way, I, I will die for a Vanessa Kirby she is amazing but
1: yeah it is uh, so uh, it says still it's an interesting contrast with say skyscraper in which the obviously moral upright family man at its center seems to not even pause for thought about taking lives yeah it's such well, without I mean, having seen skyscraper mm-hmm. I like I, can't I feel like say... I've seen it
0: by seeing the trailer yeah
1: so. it's one of those like the Rock knows what he's best at, and I'm gonna make an action flick that the whole family can yeah, see. Yeah.
0: And well and it also this also says Fallout features a brave or a badass brilliant action hero who also never kills anyone without looking them straight in the eye first and visibly weighing the moral conscience or choice before him. Which like that is it's so weird to not see that in as many movies as we should. Yeah. Like, it's kind of I've seen people compare Ethan Hunt to Captain America, and I feel like that's kind of, like, a valid... Yeah. Like, it's you, that same sort of, like, ethics and noblism.
1: That's something that I got a glimpse of in another Marvel movie that I wanted more of that I wasn't given a lot. There's a point in Doctor Strange mm-hmm. where Doctor Strange kills in like a henchman and mm-hmm. he's like, Oh shit, I'm not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm a doctor, I'm supposed to save people and I really like that moment mm-hmm. but that's all we got from it. And yeah. we moved on. It's like give me more of that. Yeah. But then again it's it, Marvel blockbuster movie. Mm-hmm. I should know better.
0: <laughs> well, and then it, this says, the moral dilemmas round out follows w- Fallout's worldview as well. In several conversations and statements, a point of view emerges that actually there may not be a right answer to the trolley problem. Keeping the world safe may actually require people f- with both perspectives to cooperate. Someone who has to keep the big picture in mind may need to be able to disconnect from individuals a bit to keep an eye on the big-scale repercussions, but it's just as important for operatives on the ground to act according to heart, gut, and conscience instead of abstract machine-like reasoning
1: yeah it i don't expect mission impossible to give us an answer to the trolley problem but I, I do like to.
0: that there's no answer and it totally yeah. fits within the world of like of course they're like this is it's, messy it's kind of supposed to be messy
1: ethan hunt pulled a kirk there's he doesn't put him in the Kobayashi Maru. Exactly, yeah. He doesn't see a no-win situation. He's going to do what he can to save everyone. Yeah,
0: and there's something kind of admirable admirable about that, and that's not what I was expecting in this movie. So it's just kind of, it's such an interesting thing. Okay, and then we're going to go to our final review, which is from Slant. This is another rotten review with two out of four stars. So, again, we uh, go with the which, Rotten Tomatoes thing of, like, did this person classify it as rotten or...
1: Which it can go either way because it's a weird metric to use four stars yeah. because it's very middle of the road. It's This could mean it was okay yeah. or it was off. I can't tell. Or it tell. was just
0: enough. like. So,
1: yeah. this comes from Keith L. Lich. Yeah. Um...
0: From Slant Magazine. How much
1: spectacle is too much? The question comes to mind often during the 147-minute sixth entry in the Mission Impossible series subtitled Fallout. And starring as ever, <laughs> Zenus <laughs> favorite son, Tom, Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise, as... Uh, surprised it took three reviews. <laughs>
0: to mention the Scientology. Yeah.
1: <laughs> as unflappable and mostly unbreakable IMF secret agent Ethan Hunt... Behind-the-scenes devotees will know that Cruz fractured his ankle while performing a between-building sleep during the film's production, though it might not have uh, made more sense if he tore his Achilles tendon, given that writer-director McQuarrie, overseer of the prior Rogue Nation, begins his arduous blockbuster with the mission, should you choose to accept it, taped hidden in a copy of Homer's Odyssey.
0: <laughs> this guy just wants to make all the puns. Like, And I'm kind of like, yeah. okay.
1: I also thought that um, when they showed... The Odyssey book yeah. I thought that was some kind of foreshadowing, foreshadowing about Ethan Hunt's journey oh, no, through the totally movie was. of like I'm away from my wife. I need to get back home it to work. And she though. totally had, she has a suitor already, and it's it his journey back was. home to her. It
0: was, though. It, yeah. like, I kind of loved that. It was such a, it, again, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, this is kind if of you a pick, cheap shot, but it's like, it Yeah, works.
1: and if you pick up on it, cool. If not, it's just a if random book. If you book.
0: pretend that you didn't read the Odyssey, or yeah. like, if you know that you didn't read the Odyssey and you just pretend that you do, then like, you're not really going to gather a whole thing from it. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> It's uh, so it talks about the <laughs> movie Staunch Dogma that leads the secret agent uh, pre credits action sequence uh, saving Luther. The particulars of the big bad master plan begin to shift after a certain cable news anchor makes a clever cameo in a false report. <laughs> Wolf Blitzer gets the cameo of the year. That was I like, great. I love... <laughs>
0: I have a conflicted relationship with Wolf Blitzer, but then I was like, say, this is kind of great.
1: Oh, say, the cameo he did was great. Yeah. Regardless, outside of whatever he does on... CNN. CNN. Yeah,
0: I just... I remember on the way home from the movie, you were like, I'm sure he was like, eat shit, Anderson Cooper, because <laughs> I
1: got to
0: be in Fallout. <laughs> because I got to stand next to Tom Cruise. But yeah, it... Let's see. I mean, like...
1: It, um, so... A little of this reverent compliance goes a very long way in Fallout, but it gets especially irritating in a late scene in which Stickle delivers a fawning monologue about how unimpeachably wonderful his partner is, as if any doubts of the contrary were equivalent to blasphemy. Stickle is speaking at this particular moment to MI6 agent Ilsa Faust, who has her own parallel mission to IMF involving the previous film's villain. I like that they gave her her own
0: yeah. Kind of that side wasn't mission. She was just there. Like she yeah. had a little bit She had her view. own
1: stuff going on. She wasn't yeah. just there. It's like we need to pad out the team with ladies. No, it was like so there was a reason interest. as to why. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It says, let's see, yet unlike do their own stunt exemplars such as Buster Keaton and again, Jackie Buster. Chan, there's nothing generous or uplifting about Cruz's jaw dropping exploits beneath each potentially bone-crunching feet. You such you sense desperation. I need to prove his physical and mental agility so as to keep doubt, a dimming star, and death at bay.
1: So, <laughs> again, we're using uh, a Buster Keaton kind of parallel reference. And we'll, like, 40, 50 years from now, we'll... Buster Keaton will be replaced with Tom Cruise. as Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I th- like this newer generation of film goers, I think they forget that Tom Cruise was, he took on meaty roles for movies. Like, stuff like Eyes Wide well, that's Shut or says, Interview with a Vampire. That's why it says,
0: it's why Cruise tend to, tends to work best in films like War of the Worlds and Eyes Wide Shut, where his vanity is utilized against him and where he exists primarily to be put through a torturous bringer, where he effectively becomes the unwitting butt of a seemingly infinite cosmic joke. You catch a glimmer of that frailty in a close quarters bathroom set fight in which Hunt and Walker face off against a roundhouse kicking karate chopping antagonist. Every time Cruz gets knocked onto the floor or through a white tiled wall, he stumbles to his feet and shoots a "What the hell am I doing?" glance to the ether or possibly the stunt coordinator. In the only time an act—it's the only time that an actor betrays anything close to human failability, perhaps because the poker face cavil cocking his super-sized biceps like a pair of double-barreled shotguns is a stilted cyborg by comparison.
1: But, But like, that's
0: the point, though. The 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 point point is that they're supposed to be foils to each other. Yeah, and Cruz... Even even though
1: he pulls off these amazing stunts, like, in in character, Mm -hmm. he's still just a guy. And
0: he's still... And there's totally, like, a dick measuring contest element to, like, him and Walker in the beginning of the movie. Oh, yeah. Of, like who are you to kind of like step in my game sort of thing. But also, like, so much homoerotic sort of stuff in yeah. here, by the way. <laughs> like, yeah.
1: There's barely a second to breathe in between the halo jumping, the motorcycle crashing, the helicopter ramming, in the tedious countdown clock climax, the frenetic frame toggling between widescreen 2.39 and IMAX 1.9 aspect ratios with Christopher Nolan hath wrought which I totally don't mind because... Yeah,
0: I, that's th- why I, I picked I, this review, because I was like, they're dissing Nolan, and I know you have something to say about Nolan and aspect ratios. <laughs>
1: He, it's so noticeable in movies but I McQuarrie and Nolan knows when to use IMAX effectively and what scenes I remember seeing the Dark Knight at midnight release in IMAX at the theater we were at mm-hmm. and the opening shot just with the flaming bat logo and then like the boom mm-hmm. opening on the skyscraper and was like oh shit I f- we're in for something good and that set the tone of like intensity
0: yeah like, I don't mind switching aspect ratios. I don't mind and, the and, IMAX cameras. Like, that. that's what you're supposed to do. You're not some, supposed yeah. to, like, convert it after the fact into IMAX and have it yeah. look like shit.
1: And it's, it's sometimes, at least for me, you barely notice it because it's so engaging. Yeah. Um, and that's, so it looks like that's the end of the review.
0: Oh, yeah, because it says it would help if there was a single character worth caring about, though an an unintended effect of reducing everyone on screen to a dewy-eyed Tom Cruise booster is that it no longer leaves – Poor Michelle Monaghan returning as the incognito Mrs. Ethan Hunt in the lone thankless role. The real fallout here is that everyone's a zero. But, like, I don't know. The characters fit their tropes and fit their roles in a way that I thought was just fine. Like, also, I can't speak to it because I haven't really, like, fully seen the rest of the other movies. Well, see, but...
1: I, I thought it was, like, yeah, they're, they're archetypes. Yeah. But, like, the scene with Luther and mm-hmm. Ilsa, where mm-hmm. it's like, the big strong guy is allowed to cry. Yeah. It's like that's it's yeah. a nice tender moment. It's just little like moment. quiet
0: in instances of like yeah. something that is important and like it not to go back to bond again, but like you go from you go from this where like sure the characters aren't as three-dimensional as they probably could be, but they're still leaps and bounds more three-dimensional than like Q or all of the other yeah. like sidekicks in James Bond who are literally just like Let's just replace you with a different actor. You're just here
1: for plot. Yeah, like you fill the same exact role every single time.
0: Which like granted these characters still do, but they're still characters first. Yeah. Yeah. Like, (sighs) yeah. we need to talk about the Halo jump because we haven't talked about the Halo jump. So the
1: Halo jump, uh, unnecessarily, but I appreciate all the work. So the scene takes place over Paris, but it was actually done... Over Abu Dhabi.
0: Uh, airport in Abu Dhabi. Uh, and then they, like, all they did was just CGI the ground.
1: So, Cruz did 151 jumps.
0: Like in practice prep, jumps. In
1: practice jumps. And they had, when it came time to film it, they had a three minute window every day because McCoy wanted the same lighting in and dust. And dust. <laughs> he wanted it uh, at a particular time. And they had this three minute window. And if they didn't get it, they would have to wait a whole day.
0: To do it all over again.
1: That is insane. And I think only because this is a Tom Cruise movie that they got away with that. Because that is a lot of money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so much money. Like, he fucking broke his ankle hopping from, like, building to building. And it cost them $70 million. And
1: delayed filming for eight weeks.
0: Like, if something had happened during the Halo jump, the entire movie would have been scrapped. Because it would have been, like, mm-hmm. catastrophic. So,
1: which And because of that ankle-shattering jump... I don't know if Paramount is going <laughs> to bankroll him to do his stunts again. But also, this is making so much money. But from a studio standpoint, it's like, you could have really injured yourself. I
0: feel like th- three or four years down the line, we'll get another one. Because Tom Cruise will be like, hi, I want to do another one. And they'll be like, okay, we're Paramount and we don't have any franchises, so sure.
1: They'll have to. Cause if, we because we don't, <laughs> yeah. this movie is doing gangbusters and it's going to make its money back. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Like, so it's going to do fine. We'll see. I'm yeah. sure he'll do most, if not a majority, of this dunce. Like, that's the one. thing.
0: is, that We sit here and we're like, how can you top this? But they will find a way.
1: They keep doing it.
0: They'll find a way.
1: I'm sure him, Cruz and McQuarrie... Have, already have an idea. Yeah, yeah. They have an idea of where they're going to go. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see where that is.
0: I just... Like,
1: to Xenu's home planet or whatever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Battlefield Earth too. Yeah, God. God, no. Um, but no, I just this movie like pleasantly surprised me in so many ways. Like yeah. I, I was sold when Han- henry cavill cocked his arms and then like yep. everything from there was just like icing on the cake so the of thing.
1: the trailer for this is the first trailer is my second favorite movie of the year
0: but really though <laughs> <laughs> like it's so it's just, like we watched that trailer like five times over when we came home from the movie yeah because it's just such an effective it's trailer so
1: well edited
0: I need whoever edited that trailer to do every trailer from now on yeah. because nothing is that good. Like yeah, yeah.
1: So do we want to go into our last segment? Yeah, our new tack on segment now because there's the new trailer out.
0: So let's do our last segment real quick. So our last we'll do segment, the segment. So
1: for listeners, because this is
0: the first movie in forever where yeah. this is actually relevant and we can remember to do it. So, so.
1: for the usual last segment is we like to fan cast or. Take the director from the movie we talk about and put them into a comic book superhero role. Um, so, so McQuarrie, Cavill, just do Man of Steel two, obviously. Janessa Kirby, just Black Canary. Black Please Canary. be
0: Black Canary. <laughs> Canary. Apparently, according to rumors online, she is on their shortlist, and I am so here for that yep. now. Because yeah, if they're like, I've made my peace with not seeing Katherine Winnick play Black Canary, but like, if they're gonna go younger, then like when 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 Vanessa Kirby like pulls the knife out of her garter and stabs a guy in this movie like, I was just like all right there I'm, I'm good I'm good there we go but yeah and then like there's such a weird thing I find I still find it confounding that people fan cast Tom Cruise as Hal Jordan because I'm like he's so old though <laughs> like
1: it, but it works if they're gonna do like parallax era Hal Jordan where he's got the white uh, sides and everything Go for it.
0: But part of me is also just like make him an older lantern. Then like
1: yeah. If they if they if not Hal, then Max Lord crazy but
0: Max Lord might be in... <laughs> we'll see.
1: But, like, if he isn't, then we'll get to see Gal maybe one day snap Tom Cruise's neck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> please, though. Like, please? Dear Lord. But, yeah, McQuarrie needs to do... Like, it, and he's already said that he'll do whatever movie where the story, like, excites him. So whether that's Man of Steel or it's Green Lantern or Or whatever. Mission
1: Impossible well, or I mean, like, he'll He'll do
0: another Mission Impossible. Yeah. But my point was just on the superhero side, like do one of those two properties because I think it could be something amazing. Yes. Yeah. So, why don't we do plugs before we see the... pull it up. Yes. So, So,
1: plugs... You can find the podcast at Tomato Tomato Pod.
0: At, we're on Twitter, Twitter. We're on Facebook. We have a Gmail. So email contact us, us if you want to talk to us. Subscribe to us on all of your podcast listening devices. Leave us a review. We would really appreciate a nice review on iTunes or Google Play or whatever the heck. Tweet at us. Yes, you can Retweet find us. us individually. I'm on Twitter at Hey it's And
1: you can find me at uh, the Chris You
0: almost forgot your own handle. I Amazon. almost did. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's it for this, like, Um, episode-episode. Before we go, a new Venom trailer came out this morning, and we've been deliberately holding off on it so we can do, like, a live reaction.
1: I'll just say off the top I don't care for Venom as a character.
0: I <laughs> I love all my Marvel characters equally. I don't care for Venom.
1: Not Venom. I think all the symbiotes are stupid. I much prefer the classic Symbio. Spider-Man villains. Symbiote. Symbio. Thank you, Jenny Slate.
0: So, yeah. So we Okay, I'm trying to not screw So, up all
1: right. So this situation. is
0: situation.
1: Technically trailer 3.
0: No, it's really yeah, it's really trailer 2 edit. But the it's really trailer. Okay, um, I don't know how the voice how, like I don't want I just don't want yeah. the audio to be like oh, super yeah. duper loud. Okay, I I don't like this thing of like here's a little sizzle reel before we go well, into see, the, the trailer. That's only
1: because when uh, they make this the the trailers an ad, I know, it's so you don't skip it because I don't know what trailer is playing. So here's a little no, thing I to know, show you. but it also annoys me. Oh, I know. <laughs> like just me from too. a
0: just from a editing wise level, I'm like, why are you blowing your load already?
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, so here we go.
1: Alright. I'm Eddie Brock. I'm a reporter.
0: I, I his accent is confounding. Yourself,
1: I've I've never heard Tom Hardy's real voice.
0: It's not that.
1: Yeah. I found something really bad. And I have been with a bad
0: I don't I, like this editing. I
1: don't know who do the, does the voice of Venom, but it sounds very, like, Candyman. Yeah, I think as, it's like, Tony Todd. Tony See, Riz Ahmed is and, the hero of this and movie. Tom Hardy. This cast is... They don't deserve this. Symbiote. symbiote. He said it, right. This is new
0: race. It grabbed the guy by his
1: ass. The life I've seen hentai. <laughs> what do
0: you want I don't like me? that. <laughs> I don't like this.
1: They're really going with like the lethal protector route. I know. I just don't anti-hero. like how the effects
0: look here. We cannot just hurt
1: people. Yes, you can.
0: That looks so stupid.
1: <laughs> See, Venom is one of those characters. Like comic-wise, I'm not overly familiar with. Like I've read enough, but I just.
0: Oh, he's gonna bite a guy's head off. That looks not bad.
1: It doesn't look bad. No, it's... Okay, that lick was weird. Ugh. <sighs> it's not completely awful. You
0: have no idea how much you're it... scaring
1: me right now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, so there... are ex- There's other symbiotes. There are other symbiotes in the movie. Yeah, I mean, we I th- knew that. I think the worst kept secret is that Woody Harrelson is playing Carnage yeah. in this. I
0: will be genuinely shocked if that's not what is happening. <sighs> Fucking... The world
1: has had enough superheroes. Yeah. We'll I don't know how this movie is gonna perform. Okay. Okay. There's... Okay. All right. More.
0: Riz. Okay, that I don't hate.
1: Cause he's well, what's his? Riot. Riot. Yeah, that's right.
0: I don't hate that. Yeah. I don't like the effects though.
1: This is so extra.
0: I hate this! I hate this!
1: Why does why does Venom need to monologue? Thanks,
0: I hate it. Oh I have a parasite.
1: What the fuck? I don't know. I don't
0: like that. There's too many effects in this movie that are, like, very clearly not done. Like, we go from the first trailer where there was no symbiote at all, to where this, like, overly overdoes everything, and it looks so fake.
1: I See, I don't even know if it's one of those things where they're still working on the effects. They
0: absolutely are. I think it's going to be, like, two weeks before the movie comes out, the effects will be done because
1: yeah. I, I don't know if if it's like a style choice with all the texturing the symbiote. The texturing
0: just looks odd that's my thing is yeah. that it looks so glossy and like yeah. unnatural and I know it's supposed to be but like the first trailer almost looked better in how the symbiote kind of was presented in the real world this yeah. just looks like goop Like <laughs> I,
1: I don't know if it's one of those things because like the comic design obviously has like the spider emblem on his chest. And no
0: they, it's not in this movie I know but yeah.
1: I, like because the comic design it, the emblem kind of helps break up so it's not all just black and yeah. you're you're missing that from this because it's obviously spider Manless. Yeah. Unless
0: No I just mean all of the like yeah. webs and goop and all of that sort of stuff yeah, looks just like stringy snot like it does not I don't know and then like Yeah, why does he have to monologue? Why did he have to talk about turning someone into
1: either a turd
0: or a turtle rolling down the street? (laughs) I don't know which. Either feels likely at this point.
1: I don't know. I'll see it. We'll
0: see it reluctantly.
1: Out of of obligation.
0: (laughs) Uh, Um, But, I I mean,
1: for Sony's sake, I hope it does well. Otherwise, you're going to be bought out by Disney.
0: Spider-Verse will do, do well enough though to like keep yeah. let them be able to stay in their own lane. Plus I mean like, at
1: least they they're going for it. They're making it R. But like it just
0: it feels like that whole thing about the monologue in particular for some reason that bothers me that reminds me of this one guy on Twitter who like vehemently hates the Deadpool like this one comedian who like always shits on Deadpool and like the trailers and the movies mm-hmm. and stuff and when the first trailer for Deadpool ever came out he was like this is like a walking hot topic and I hate it <laughs> and this is what that felt like I now understand why people were pissed at Suicide Squad this is how I feel about this movie is So how, many like outsiders feel about so, Suicide Squad so many
1: Venom fanboys are just gonna eat this up and i just i just, don't care like cool i'm happy for you you're getting the movie i'll you see want. this
0: because the cast is insane and i like Ruben fleischer but also at the same time i'm just rolling my eyes at it, every decision that is being made in it, this movie if
1: sony was going to make a spider-man villain movie i'd much rather have sinister Six.
0: yeah but like we're not getting that i know so yeah this is eh.
1: it's a movie
0: it's a movie keep watching movies
1: except probably venom And bright. And bright. Goodbye.